Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Today's guest on the Film School podcast is Richard Chu. He is a actor and a musician. He was born in LA, raised in Toronto, and was originally in line to become a software programmer, but he ended up in the world of acting. You've probably seen him in shows like SWAT or CSI Cyber. He is a really awesome guy. We spent a lot of time talking about acting, but maybe a little bit more talking about life philosophy and how to keep all of these plates spinning from NFTs to acting to music. Richard definitely seems to have a lot going on. I really enjoyed this conversation and I know you will too. Remember, if you appreciate the episode, be sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so this show can be seen by more people. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Richard Chu. Richard, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for having me. And, uh, it's definitely a pleasure. Uh, I'm excited to, uh, you know, join us on the journey, man. Yeah, no, I mean, the journey is really what I love talking about on this show because, you know, when I sit down and listen to interviews with actors or directors or producers, the conversation usually is what are you working on right now? Like, what's the thing that you're doing right this second and very focused on the now and the coming days. And I'm really fascinated by what inspires people to go down this path. And, um, you know, for, for everybody, that's something different watching a movie as a kid that sparks something, it hits them in college, you know, when they're taking some kind of creative writing class, uh, what was it for you that really sparked the interest in creative work in general? Creative work, uh, period. Um, you know, I got to say that, that, um, I think I've always been creative uh, from the start. Um, you know, everything everything that I've ever done uh, since I was a kid ha- has always been sort of outside the box. And there was a certain um, there's a certain level of trying to contain that in my family household, which meant that either I was uh, grounded or <laughs> you know, uh, or restricted for s- certain things, um, and there were a lot of guidelines in my in my household. But but create being being a creative that that just is something that has always been um, a huge part of my life, and I can't get away from it, even if I if I try to right. So so for me, being creative is is number one, especially in business. Like I, I have to be, I have to have a vision. I have to have the idea. Um, even before I start to lay out the logistics of things, right? if right. that makes sense. Yeah. How, how did that first manifest itself? Uh, was it through music? Was it through like just being extra active, like pretending and running around the house? Was it something where you were coloring up and, you know, early in that early hours of the morning, what did that look like for you? You know, that's an interesting question you should ask because I have a three-year-old now and I watch him and it's so good to watch. Um, it's, it's so good to watch him because I'm, I'm sort of re-experiencing um, my past through him, 
in a way, yeah. right? Uh, because he's so creative. Everything he does, he's always in the moment. So mm. saying that, I can only imagine how in the moment I, I was as a kid, and this is something I'm still practicing in my life, is to, to be in the moment as best as possible. So um, as a kid, I would, I would always have these crazy ideas of doing things, um, whether it was, you know, um, <laughs> riding down a hill, thinking about, you know, what would happen if I, if I twisted the handlebars, what, what, what would be the effect of that? Right. Mm. Which I actually did. And I landed on my face and I got knocked out for 10 minutes and, wow. you know, they call it, they called the uh, paramedics and all that. Uh, but, but, or whether it's, how do I, um, how do I actually get into, um, this sort of, um, arena of like, uh, you know, if I wanted to get into, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a, I'm trying to think of an experience as a kid where, where I actually like, talked my way through it. And mm. I think that has a lot to do with it. it was the, the aspect of talking and being in the moment and not lying about things, but sort of, sort of trying to push my way through or get my way through into that. And I had to think fast on my feet, especially with my parents, those, those experiences for me were, were the ultimate, um, you know, uh, uh, opportunities to create. And then mm. that's when I realized uh, that, oh, wow, like I can, I can actually do uh, so many other things, which led me to my first passion, uh, which was um, music. And, um, you know, I, I found a guitar in my parents' closet and they'd never taken it out. It was crazy. And it was this beautiful American flag guitar I'm like, where the fuck did you guys get this guitar from? I'm, I'm like eight years old. Right. Uh, and, um, they're like, it's always been in the closet. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is so strange. Anyhow, the guitar was calling me and I, I just dove into that. And that was literally, I feel like my first, uh, interaction with, mm. um, something outside of myself. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about kind of the family dynamic because it seems like with a lot of creatives, there's one of two things. There's, there's a lot of encouragement to chase your dreams and go for it. And then there's all the other side of it, which is, you know, go do this, you know, like go do this other safe route. And um, I, I know just from reading into your story a little bit that you were on a path toward um, software, like programming in the beginning. Was that something that was kind of you were pushed along that path or was that something you were just going to try to do that as your, what you thought was going to be your normal nine to five and then keep the other stuff as a hobby? Mm, good question. Um, my, my dad's a, he's an engineer. Uh, mm. He's, he loves engineering. Um, he's, he's done it all. Right. So as a kid, you know, I would always get pushed into the, uh, the academics, especially in math and, um, you know, it got to the point where, where I just got, I just had gotten burnt, burnt out on, you know, um, math and, and all that, because that's what, not where my heart was. But even as a kid, he would say the future is software programming. Mm -hmm. Even, even, even then he was, he knew, right. And I just didn't feel like it, but I, but I practiced it for maybe a year or two. I would, I would try to code um, and I would, um, try to see if I can break into, 
um, other programs and break those down. So I did that for about two to three years. And, um, you know, I was considering going into software engineering and, um, but again, you know, when, when the, when creativity is a muse, um, you know, she pulls you back and, you know, <laughs> tells you, yay, keep on this path. Just keep mm. going. Yeah. Yeah. So, so working on that path, you had somebody that kind of pushed you into music, right? I mean, that was kind of the first push out of the software programming route. Am I right? Or was that the, what was your first kind of break where you're like, okay, I'm going to try making this a feasible career path? Well, um, so kind of, kind of just to lay down the blocks of, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the path, um, you know, music into, entered my life when I was about six or seven, maybe eight, like around that time. Right. And, you know, I fell in love with it. I, I, you know, started learning chords. I started learning how to write songs. I would um, watch uh, music videos. Uh, I would write songs with other people, collaborate and all that. Software engineering, um, you know, was, was really about like 18, 19, right. Mm -hmm. After mm -hmm. high school sort of thing. And, um, you know, so, so with, with all that, the push, I would say, um, the push was really, you know, I had, you know, I had a friend like after high school, I, you know, I met a friend who, who came up to me and said, Hey, you know, I heard you play guitar and I heard you do vocals. Right. And he's like, I'm just, you know, I want to start a band. Uh, and so, we, we started jamming together and eventually we um, recruited a, a, a bass player and a, and a drummer. And, you know, we started this band and that's, that's when I felt alive. Right. And that's mm. when I sort of gave up the, uh, the software engineering route and uh, really just put my heart into this. Uh, and that was really the start, um, the, a really big break from, from, you know, what, what was, what was supposed to be, if you will. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's got to feel, I have to imagine there's a mental place you go to where it's like, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like this is a much less clear path. Like software programming is a very clear, you know, you work your way up in that world. Whereas the path you've chosen, which is the creative path, and you can see it just by looking through all of the different projects you've worked on. Like that's a much more unknown path. Like you can be working on one thing one day, something else the other. Like for you, it's like going even from music to acting. Like that's an interesting trajectory. You know, it's 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 interesting seeing that kind of kind of play out. Um, when was the when was the first time that you became involved with like film and television using the skill of music? Hmm, interesting. Um, I uh, had a friend. Um, who was a director? Because uh, so, okay, so so at the time when before I, I before I shifted it, uh, from from the music industry to the film industry, um, I was doing a lot of producing and um, I was also composing for film a lot. Um, you know, I had a really great mentor um, at the time, and you know, he really, really, um, he really, really like you know um, helped me and supported me, uh, and I was able to take all that and just run. So, um, I, while I felt like I was, you know, starting to get burned out on, on film scoring, this project came in, 
from from a friend from a, of another friend, and it was a short film. And I thought, man, I don't do short films anymore, right? And um, I just don't have any interest. He said, you know, just let me send it to you. Let me send it to you. Let me see what you you know see what you think you know and get back to me. So he sent it to me, and it just the short film really just you know that touched me. Something happened where I just really connected with it and I said, okay, I'll do it. And that was really how um, I felt like that moment was something that I said, wow, you know, this, this there's something about this short film that made me want to get deeper into um, understanding characters, I guess you, uh, you would say. Right. Um, but but that was kind of like the extent of it. I did it and, you know, and, you know, I did probably two or three other films for, uh, for him. Um, and eventually, eventually that sort of died out and I focused more on music producing. Uh, and um, I did that. I, I dove like hardcore uh, into that uh, until I got super burnt out and um, started looking for different, creative outlet if you will where where did where did that burnout come from like you love the music you love the creative process was it did you feel like you're doing a lot of the same thing was it just wanting to try something new because i mean it it, it's it's what a lot of people especially people who'd be interested in the music side would be like oh that's a dream job you know i get to do music you know i get to compose for different projects and you know you've got quite a few credits under your belt doing that um did it just stop being creatively fulfilling for you yeah, pretty much. Um, a lot of it was um, isolation, mm. right? Um, you know, isolation. Uh, and I'm going to quote, uh, you know, one of my one of my mentors, uh, Daisaku Ikeda. Uh, he says that isolation is spiritual suicide, mm. right? And um, that's what I felt. I felt like I wasn't going anywhere. And um, when when I was, I remember producing this one band um, and they're really good friends of mine. And it was a year process. That process was exhilarating, but it was also excruciating, right? Um, it was, it was exhilarating in a way where, where we got to experiment with so many different sounds. Um, and, but it was excruciating because of, the isolation aspect of it. And I just told myself I'm that I, I was done. I was no. done. So, um, so I just sort of made a decision to kind of like step away from the music um, mm. biz for, for a bit. Yeah. Did, did you have a clear direction when you stepped away or was it kind of just a refocusing time? Uh, yeah. Uh, more ref- reflection. Uh, I, so this is the, this is this is one of those stories where where people people always say to me like wow man I can't even believe this happened this is like one of those things that you hear in in um, in um, you know articles or whatever it is so yeah. so the way I transitioned into acting was I ended up to kind of have income coming in I uh, I ended up getting a job at Trader Joe's we all know Trader Joe's right yeah. okay. Um, so I worked there for about a year, but within eight months, I say 
within the eight month uh, like time span, uh, I had I had customers come up to me and basically say, "Are you an actor? You should be an actor." Hmm. And the whole time I'm like, "No, oh, man, I'm a musician. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to have anything to do with acting. I, in fact, I don't like acting. Right? Um, uh, just, just you know." whatever. So this happened for about a good amount of time, like eight months or so, like I was saying. Um, but during that same time within the eight months, my, my inner sort of like, um, my inner thoughts, right. Uh, or, or inner desires was, was basically, um, formed as, okay. I said, <laughs> this sounds so like esoteric, but I, I said, universe, and this I said this every single day for about six to eight hours at uh, on the shift. Um, I said, universe, all I want is to create with highly creative people in a highly creative environment. I'm all just give me that, just mm. give me that, right? And so, so there was this one day um, where um, I was uh, at the register. And, um, this lady came into my line and she, you know, she basically asked me, um, are you a musician? And mm. I said, yeah, what's up? How can I help you? Finally, someone um, guessed right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, I, and she goes, well, I'm a talent agent, mm. uh, and you should get into acting. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> like, this is how, this is how this is going to work. Um, so she gave me her card. I was like, I don't want this, but I put it in my pocket for some, some reason. And I, I went to a party that weekend and I was talking to one of my friends and she's an actor. And she basically said, I was telling the whole story and uh, I told her what agency. And uh, she said, dude, that's like one of the top like agencies in, in the nation. Like you should do this. And I thought, okay, I'm going to trust you on this. So I go in and um on the first day uh she you know i'm i'm meeting her in her office and on the first day she gets this uh, in the first 5 minutes i mean uh she gets this call um and she hangs up and she says you got your first audition and wow. i said no i'm not, i don't want to go on this audition i i'm not even agreeing to anything and she said just do it you know and see what happens so i did it uh i ended up booking that and um, I ended up booking like other stuff, which essentially changed my life. And I looked like my my perspective on acting had changed dramatically because I thought, first of all, uh, I started loving acting, but most importantly, uh, I I started becoming open. Right. Mm. Whereas before, I was completely shut off. I you know I wanted a specific thing to happen. But at that point, it was a learning lesson for me to, to always practice being open mm. and saying yes to as many possibilities. Yeah. You, you talk about the perspective shifts and I'm curious before we kind of dive into, you know, obviously those roles and the things that you started seeing as you changed and started loving acting, what were some of the ways that when you watched a movie or when you watched someone perform did it change the way you started viewing those things? Like when you saw someone on screen, 
Did it change the way you saw maybe things you'd seen a million times, like the way you processed it and received that information? Yes. And it was so annoying, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was so annoying. Um, So so I remember the first time I started learning about music theory and I started music uh, listening uh, to, to sounds. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, I learned about, I learned about, you know, how, how reverb was used for a snare, for example. Mm -hmm. So that was like the red pill for me because every time I went into uh, a theater and I heard, um, you know, the score in the background, you know, and I heard a snare, I couldn't get the reverb out of my head. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so essentially, you know, you, you, the naked eye, is that, right? Like, you know, for, I mean, for this instance, it was like the naked ear. You, you know, when you don't notice things, you don't really notice things. But, but you know, I noticed that snare for, for years and I couldn't get out of my head and it got super annoying. It was the same thing for acting. When I started lear- learning about uh, theory and taking classes and just getting to that experience, you know, that happened for about two to three years. And I just mm. thought, this sucks. Like why this is, this is, this is demented in a way because I just want to enjoy the picture, but now I'm yeah. just sitting here. I'm just sitting here uh, sort of like criticizing what, or, or not being in the moment. Right. It's, yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was, it sucked for a while, but, yeah. but uh, I'm used to it now. Right. Right. Yeah. What I, I mean, I asked you before we recorded, you know, some of your, some of your biggest influences um, and uh total confession. Uh, so you mentioned Bruce Lee is one of your, one of your biggest influences. I'd never seen a Bruce Lee movie ever. Um, and I, you know, I, I consider myself a film buff and I've watched a lot of movies and it just, it's, it's someone who is iconic to the point where, you feel like you've seen, like, I was shocked going back and looking. Cause I was like, I feel like I've seen something I've seen these iconic moments with him, but I'd never watched one of his films. And um, I, I'm curious before I dive into my experience, I did watch a Bruce Lee movie before doing this. Um, it, you know, what was it about him that really captivated you and inspired you? So, um, so I think it was when I was like 11 or 12, my dad took me to um, watch, I think it was Enter the Dragon, hmm. right? And I don't know if you've ever seen Enter the Dragon, right? Uh, if it's your first time watching Enter the Dragon ever, uh, you know, I guess depending on what age, uh, you know, it'll affect you. But but at the time when you're 10 or 11 and you're watching this um, and you're watching this on the big screen, the intensity of Bruce Lee, um, like the intensity of Bruce Lee was like his performance, his charisma on film was just so impactful. Right. Um, so as a kid, I just thought, man, that's the best fucking job in the world. Like you Mm. get to be this action hero. And I just thought, man, this is, this is awesome. I, I, I want to be that one day, you know, maybe unconsciously saying that to myself. Right. But I knew I just, I, I knew as I was so affected as a kid and I, and I know a lot of Asian kids were affected and impacted by Bruce Lee as well. So that, that sort of icon, uh, it was implanted in all of us and I'm sure non-Asian as well. Right. But, right, but... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, 
but I think specifically, you know, representation being what it's been for the last, you know, in the history of film to have a Bruce Lee is probably very meaningful, you know, like, especially in times where there weren't a lot of roles, there weren't a lot of, you know, Bruce Lee opportunities out there. Um, it's yeah. gotta be inspiring seeing that. Right. You know, that's, that's, that's great that you said that because it's really about representation. Um, you know, oh, you know, I think it's funny. I've, I've had conversations with friends about, you know, film and, and different eras. And um, one of the biggest eras that I never understood uh, were the eighties, right. Mm. Um, you know, 16 candles, uh, um, you know, uh, fuck, I can't even remember the, some of the films right now, but, um, but that era was, I felt like it was the meanest era in film, mm. extremely mean, um, uh, and, um, and very blunt in a way, meaning that there were so many stereotypical jokes. Um, there, there, there were, um, certain dynamics on how, how, people treated each other that were sort of echoed into mm. the ether. Right. Um, you know, just so much of the eighties films, I just didn't really fully understand. I mean, sh I'm sure there were, there were so many more artistically, um, you know, artistic sort of like um, films that, uh, you know, that were made, but I never saw those. I only saw like the pop art sort of yeah. uh, pop culture sort of like films. Right. And I just didn't, you know, each time I, you know, like, like long duck dog, for instance, right. Like every time I watched that as a kid, there was something in my heart just fell, like this just dropped. Right. And, um, you know, I had friends that were, were, they were like, that was the best character, you know, yada, yada. And I just thought, I don't get it. I no. really don't get it. You know, um, not to say that the film wasn't great. I mean, the right. film, you know, is one of by one of the best filmmakers in the world and really great story. But I think just depicting characters, yeah. it really got it really got me. Yeah. Well, that that was one of the cool things, like you know, watching. So I watched Way of the Dragon, um, and I watched it specifically nice. because it was the one that Bruce Lee directed, and yes. and I I wanted to see him. One, I wanted to see him in the director's chair, like what that would be like. And then, you know, also it was really cool because I, you know, it was, he's at the peak and then he's taking on, you know, Chuck Norris, who's, you know, at the peak of his career. And it was, it was a really, really interesting movie, but the, you mentioned kind of the charisma that was something I didn't expect. Um, and it is, it's something too, like I, I recently, you know, I say discovered, but I recently started watching, you know, like Jackie Chan as well. Um, you know, like watching, I watched police story um, earlier this year. And what's funny about both Jackie Chan and uh, Bruce Lee is, you know, from, from the movies that I was watching, you know, cause I wasn't watching any foreign movies really at all. Um, you know, I would watch the Chuck Norris. I would watch, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone and, you know, or Jason Statham, you know, with the transporter movies and with all of the action heroes, there was always this very stoic, very, you know, like I'm the toughest in the room. I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm say my, what maybe they'll say a one-liner in some of the Arnold movies and things, 
But what's really interesting with like Way of the Dragon is like Bruce Lee's so funny in that movie. And there's so much, like, even though like Chuck Norris in that movie is stone cold, like maybe the coolest Chuck Norris has ever been because he's <laughs> rarely that cool. Um, you know, like Bruce Lee's half the movie is a comedy, like three fourths of the movie is, is a comedy. But the minute he switches that flip or flips that switch, like it just, he goes right into that serious action hero Bruce Lee mode. And I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting the humor and all that. Same with Jackie Chan. Like I expected a little bit more because I know his movies, but like police story, same thing, incredible action, but a very charismatic star in the middle of it. It was this totally different way to do that type of movie. And uh, right. really, really blew me away. Right. I mean, he also had a hand. I think he um, also wrote it possibly yeah, or I co-wrote it. So. He was heavily right. involved in everything yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Well, it was a shift, right? I mean, you had the big boss and you have Fist of Fury, right? Which yeah. are first two films. Those first two films were an opportunity for Bruce Lee to really explode and show who he was, right? Um, the great thing about uh, Big Boss was <clears throat> that number you know number one it was his first film but it was he technically i think he technically had a smaller part or he you know one of the guys one of the guys in the film that had sort of like the heartthrob look you know was supposed to be the main character but then this uh the directors uh saw bruce lee um uh, on the on on the camera and thought wow this is the guy who we should focus on so it suddenly shifted Mm -hmm. right his charisma really just took it all away and so um, so in fist of fury um you know the powerful thing about that movie was um he had the opportunity to to show another different element uh and like a facet of of asian men Mm -hmm. right if you watch fist of fury you can see you can see like, you know, Bruce Lee's character. I mean, there's still elements of comedy in it, but really small because he was sort of like starting to put really him, his ideas into the film. Right. But um, in Fist of Fury, it was an opportunity to show another side of himself in way of the dragon. Um, you know, not only was it an opportunity for him to direct, uh, write and, and star in it. Right. Um, but it was, also, he sort of broke open uh, the um, the door for for people to see different sides of him, right? And I think because of that, he, I mean, I, I think I mean, I mean, he was already considered like a massive star in uh, Fist of, uh, in, in what is it? Big, the Big Boss is the first film, um, but. In Way of the Dragon, I think he somehow solidified it internationally mm. until until Enter the Dragon. Into the Dragon, uh, it's a whole not that's a whole nother story. But I think Enter the Dragon, he landed, he really landed in America. That's mm. that's when and, and it's sad because you know, you know, he wasn't there to experience yeah. it, right? So um, but one thing because you were just mentioning about like the the machismo and the stoicness of, uh, of, of men. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that, that was part of the eighties too, like John Millis. Right. Yeah. I don't know if, so you familiar with John Millis, right. Yeah. So like Conan, the barbarian, like that was his thing. Right. Like he, he really portrayed men as these like machismo sort of, uh, uh, you know, characters. And um, he's a fascinating guy, but that was literally like what set out, uh, the 80s in terms mm-hmm. of like how men were represented right um so it's it's 
crazy. It's crazy because it's almost like one-sided, um, you know, and, you know, I think because in action films, um, that's what, that's what the world wants to see in a way, right. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of thing. That's why you see all these sort of remakes and all this stuff. I, I feel yeah. like this, this certain type of character is always sort of like splashed into that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it definitely seems to be the default, you know, like you, there's a certain way to make someone tough <laughs> on a screen yeah. It, and yeah, you see it repeated. I just had someone on, we were talking about Charles Bronson, you know, which I, I love Charles Bronson's movies, love but it's him. that same, it's that same format, you know? Um, but, okay. Question, question yeah. before you go on Charles Bronson or Bruce Willis. Oh, Charles Bronson for sure. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah. I, I, yeah, but I mean specifically, like we talked about the Death Wish movies, um, and yeah. Bronson in those movies is so in everything he's magnetic. Like he, I he gets a I don't think he gets the love he deserves as an actor because I think he really lands a lot of the emotional beats in his movies, even the movies that aren't good surrounding him, which there are a lot. But he's always really good, and he's charismatic as well in his in his own way. Um, Bruce Willis, I think, had that for. A little bit of his early career, but I mean, I mean, he's he's probably the the worst example, uh, the best example of the worst version of that stoic leading man. Now, you know, like the the way he gets used in movies, you know, it, it's very dull one you know one dimensional performances, and uh, it's just it's really hard for me now watching Bruce Willis movies because I I feel like there is so much like when you watch Pulp Fiction, his performance in that versus when you watch, you know, a movie that's come out post 2010, it's, right. it's, it's really disappointing. Um, Cause he, he used mm. to be very charismatic I mean, moonlighting. Like he was so charismatic in that totally yeah. different actor. Um, it's, it's been strange watching what's happened, you know? Yeah. I, it, uh, I agree. I agree. I don't, I don't know what happened there, man. I mean, yeah, he is talented. Sad. He's an immensely He's, talented he, actor. Yeah. But he hasn't, I mean, I can't think of the last performance that where I felt like there was any energy to it, you know, like real energy. I mean, there, have you heard of, have you heard of that um, sort of thing where he practices stillness? And I love this about him is that he, he was on this sort of like, you know, a mission to just practice stillness. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you watch films uh, after Bruce Willis films after um, I'd say, like you would say 2010, right. Yeah. Uh, there, these, these films where he's just not moving cameras close up. Right. And he's just moving his eyes. Hmm. Right. But it's effective for the film. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I always wondered myself when, you know, does like sort of uh, art splash into reality or does reality splash into art? Hmm. Where, you know, does a person's life actually affect how they are on film or does the experience in being a film, you know, sort of echo into that person's life? Um, You know, so that, that, that kind of ponder, I ponder on that a lot because, you know, I mean, that does, to me, it doesn't really happen to me because I think my my acting experiences have always been sort of random and, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, you know, the, the, the characters that uh, are, are 
offered to me or given to me are are sort of uh, things that I really have to challenge myself to get into. It's not mm-hmm. like something I have to really, you know, go, you know, some people go, I experiencing something in my life so that, that I can express it, express this in the character. I have to create it for me personally. I have to recreate it in my, in my psyche. It's just every single thing in order to express that. And mm. that's tough, man. So, so yeah, I always wondered, I wonder about like Christian Bale, like, how, you know, what's his drive? Um, I wonder about Samuel Jackson, um, yeah. you know, all these actors, you know, what their, like how, what their drive is, like, how do, how do they pick roles and, and yeah. all that? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, before we depart from Bruce Lee really quick, I do want to ask this because I, I was, I was curious your perspective as someone who, who really admires him. Um, what was your take on the once upon a time in Hollywood portrayal of, of Bruce Lee? Because I know there was a lot of mixed feelings. Uh, there was a lot of vitriol from a lot of people about it. There were others who, you know, even, I mean, Tarantino considers himself a, a Bruce Lee fan, but, um, and, you know, defended it in, in some interviews. Like what was your take on that? You know, I, I'm, I, I'm curious to rewatch it, having seen him in film, you know, like having watched and going through some of his filmography now, curious to rewatch it, but I was curious what your take was on that. That's a hard one because I, 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 uh, this is the thing about social media. You start reading articles and you di- start diving into it. Right. And you, so you going, hear both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you, yeah. So you hear all this stuff and, and I go, man, I got to go experience it myself. And, um, you know, after the fact, after the fact, when I watched this, uh, I, <sighs> it's tough to answer because, because I had that influence. Right. But at the same time, it's a Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> you know, it's a Tarantino film, man. Like, like Brad Pitt was in the movie, like taking his shirt off on the rooftop, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you know, I'm not even sure if Brad Pitt's a fan of that, but you know, he he succumbed to that because it's a Tarantino film, right? Yeah. And I don't know, man. I just think I just think follow follow the art. If, mm. if it, if it really resonates with you, um, I'm sure the actor that played Bruce Lee, uh, you know, he was psyched about it and yeah. he knew what was going on. So, you know, I mean, that's a hard thing to say. I, I don't really have, uh, you know, I'm not really opinionated on that. I'm not really a, that much of an opinionated person, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, overall, but I just feel like it's a Quentin Tarantino film, man. You know, that's yeah. what you go to the, that's what, that's why you go in and watch a Tarantino film. So yeah. if you don't like it, then, you know, so be it. Yeah. 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 I was curious. I was curious what your perspective was. It, it totally. came up in my mind as I was, as I was watching it. Cause I was, um, I didn't know. I mean, when I first watched, I didn't even think anything of it, you know, but I, again, I wasn't exposed to Bruce Lee at all. And then I start reading articles. I'm like, was I supposed to be upset about this? And then, you know, and then listening to interviews, um, I, I think it was maybe on Rogan or I know in the book, cause I read the novelization, like it really dives into it. And the whole thing was like, Cliff had to trick him in order to beat him. Like there had to be. So he goes through it in detail in the book. And I, I, I think I get it. I get it on both sides. I get why Bruce Lee's daughter is, you know, 
was upset about it and, and things like that. But I would, you know, it's, yeah, it was interesting seeing the amount of people piling on, but I feel like almost every Tarantino movie has something <laughs> where people do that, well, you know? Well, I mean, I mean, uh, Shannon Lee, man, I mean, uh, I, I, I totally understand where she's coming from because she's the protector of the, yeah. or, or, you know, the organization. Yeah. So yeah. Fight for it, man. Yeah. You know? Um, but man, I, I listen, man, I, I grew up, I grew up, uh, in, I grew up in an age where, where it was okay to bust each other's nuts, mm. you know, yeah. you know, um, you know, I, uh, I grew up in a Hispanic community and the Hispanic community is great on that. Um, and especially when you hang out with the, the guys, you know, we're always busting each other's nuts. Right. Um, so, so I feel like it's okay to, to get a little, you know, <laughs> not busting. I don't even know if that's PC anymore, but, uh, but um, I mean, I, but I think it just comes down to really trying to be understanding with each other and yeah. trying to under, not understanding with each other, but also understanding each other um, to the point where, you know, why is that person, why is that comedian making this comment? Uh, but instead of, you know, um, what do you call that when people can't, oh, cancel culture, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when people try to cancel each other out, it's like, wow, who is it? I think it was Norm MacDonald's special that mm-hmm. I just watched and um, on Netflix. That was, I mean, that was shot maybe like three or four years ago. But I, but there's a piece where he sort of like dives into that. And, um, you know, he basically said that, you know, now these days we're, we can't even say anything because this will happen and this will happen and this will happen, which, sort of leaves us in in this position um of being cornered constantly Mm. and and imagine this when you're constantly cornered what happens you gotta you gotta fight back you 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 know we're not allowed to fully express ourselves now right um so that's that's the arena that we're dealing with now man is is if self self self-expression right um it's self-expression um especially on social media everyone has something to say and that's hard that's hard um you know and it goes both ways too because uh if people are attracted to you 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 know it's important to be extremely uh not just responsive but caring right and i just think that in this era that we live in, regardless of what people say, um, I think it, we 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 need to just be able to to have that moment of of doing our best to understand the other person. Compassion, mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to say it. Just to be compassionate and really just see what the person listen. Right, we're not listening yeah. anymore. Right, so right. all these things are happening. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. Yeah, man. I, no, I, I resonate with all that. And I think that's, that's a valuable conversation, especially when it comes to comedy, you know, like I listen to so many conversations, you know, with, you know, with different comedians talking about that and, and, you know, they'll make a joke with each other and people on the outside looking and go like, why'd you say that? Or, or you say, you know, but it's, I, at a certain point too, I think there's a level where like, it's all the intent, you know, like what's the intent of doing this, you know, and what's the reason you're doing it. And there is, there's a lot of stuff, like you mentioned, there's a lot of films 
I mean, there's a lot of films even now, but there's a lot of films in the eighties and, and you go back and watch like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> like why would people say that? And it was a lot of it was just to be hurtful or it was purely from a place of ignorance. Um, but I think it, it becomes easy to group whatever we don't like into like, Oh, that's unacceptable, which I think is a really scary place to be. And people like Norm Macdonald, I think express that all the time, um, yeah. you know, that, that feeling, but looking at your trajectory, cause you're, you're, really beginning this journey. Like there's a long career ahead of you. Um, you know, as you kind of look and see like the mark that you want to leave on film, on television, like, do you have a certain type of role or a certain type of project that you'd love to work on or that you're, you're trying to build to, um, or are you just kind of enjoying the journey, seeing where it takes you right now? The latter, Hmm. you know, I mean, gosh, this question gets asked uh, to me all the time. Oh, like, that means it's not a good you, question. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. It's a great question. It's just, I, I haven't really figured it out on my own. Right. Because, no. because like, um, you know, uh, are there like, I guess in Matthew McConaughey's book, he goes green lights, right? Like, you know, it's, you know, it's the green lights and um, gosh, man, you know, what really resonates with my heart are, are, is is quirky sort of characters and I'm, I'm good at quirky characters right so when I audition for roles such as you know you know procedurals or dramatic sort of sort of films it's not me like I can't do it it's that's my heart doesn't really you know explode with that um, I think I think in this past 17 years of acting that um, that, uh, you know, with all the scripts that I've read, I think only five really popped out for me that mm-hmm. I go, Oh, this rules for me. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that I actually got those. Right. Um, um, but I just felt like, Oh, like I can really dig my teeth into this character. This is the type of character that really resonates with me. Um, you know, what kind of, what kind of roles? I, you know, I love quirky characters. No, um, I love characters where I can have the freedom to just be myself, uh, mm. and 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 use whatever part of my sort of you know brain goes, uh, you know, to kind of add to that because it's not really you know it, you know it's not really a formula. Uh, sort of thing. It's sort of like, what do I feel from this? So mm. if I'm reading something from a procedural or even a film that sort of has a sort of stereotypical idea of what it should be, right? That's where my mind goes. Like the other day I auditioned for something and I thought, oh, Steve Buscemi, like this is Steve Buscemi. Mm. But but I, I, I also love the character. And I thought I can totally take from that and add my, uh, add my own two like sense to it, you know? Mm. Um, so it's those kind of characters that I really uh, appreciate. Um, but when you ask, if you ask me to, if I can play something like, you know, you know, James Bond, <sighs> dude, that's really not me, man. Like I'd rather play, I'd rather play like the, the villain or, or some supporting character in, in a James Bond film that, mm that has a little bit more freedom uh, to express because that responsibility, it might be a responsibility uh, factor as well, because the responsibility to, to be um, 
Tom Cruise or, you know, um, you know, uh, I'm blanking on James Bond. What's his name? Uh, Uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah. Daniel Craig. Like those roles are highly, highly responsible. Like Mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know, not only do you have to be a good leader, right. Uh, and show up on, uh, on set and just really set a good example, but you also have that element of, of being on film and getting it right. Right. And just being there. And, um, in terms of like that stoic idea of, of what we see as action heroes or, or men that's still slightly still there. Um, I actually Tom Cruise's character is like, it's, it kind of wanes a little bit because he does add elements. You can see different things going on, which mm-hmm. I love like mission Impossible series is uh, one of yeah. my favorite series, but, but in terms of responsibility and keeping that character yeah, and keeping the whole you know, thing in line uh, with the other actors, right? Like, um, that's a huge responsibility, and um, I, you know, uh, it's it. That's a tough thing to do. That's a really tough thing to do. It's not easy. Which, which is probably why I I choose the the uh, uh, you know the quirky the quirky uh, right. characters. But yeah, yeah. No, I was I was looking through some of your some of your work before doing this, um, and. You know, I was speaking to the formula, you know, I was, I was watching um, SWAT, which I hadn't watched the series at all. So I watched your episode isolated from the series Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was watching through it and I'd seen the original series, you know, I'd I'd watched several episodes of that, but watching it, you know, like I was sitting there, this is such a rigid structured show and, you know, very procedural type of type of show. And your character was exactly what you're describing, which was, you know, it, you stood out in the episode, not just because I was looking for you (laughs) because I was watching the episode waiting. I was like, let's go, come on. And then, um, you know, but watching your scene, like you got to bring in a little bit of humor, a little bit of more eccentric, like more like high energy performance in it. And it stands out in the flow of the rigidity and the structure and the, the hyper seriousness. You know, and I, I think that's where, you know, I, I think those are the fun roles. Those are the things, you know, even with Tom Cruise, you mentioned Mission Impossible, like the most fun I've had watching Tom Cruise has been in his last few movies, like seeing him get really funny in the Edge of Tomorrow, because he's legitimately funny in that movie and totally. playing a little bit of a quirkier character. Like it's so refreshing versus like the action stars from the 80s. I wouldn't say the 70s, let's say the 80s through 2000s has all been that, you know, I love Jason Statham, but it's been the Jason Statham style, you know, character versus, you know, for me, I love, I love the seventies when there's some weird quirkiness to them, but Al Pacino's to the world that, you know, Roger Moore is James Bond, you know, bringing in jokes that sometimes landed, sometimes didn't, you know, but it was always unique and it stands out in the flow of the Sean Connery's and the Timothy Dalton's. And as much as I love all of that range, there's something to that going outside the box a little bit. And again, you don't always stick the landing, but when you do, it's, it's super memorable, like hyper memorable. Kind of addressing what you, uh, you mentioned about uh, the SWAT episode, you know, that whole experience was, was me coming back after a three-year hiatus Mm. right i took i had to i had to leave um the entertainment industry because because it got 
it started getting to my head, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I I started noticing I started noticing the people that I was hanging around with, um, they weren't. They were sort of like they were they were a result of what I was sort of calling out for, but it was the wrong it was a wrong sort of like connections, right? Cause mm-hmm. I was, cause I was really trying to, I was really trying to find myself and um, you know, the, the acting process for me just kind of, you know, took a loop for me and, and mentally. And, um, and I didn't really, I didn't really feel like I had a strong foundation within myself um, because of certain experiences, um, of certain people that I thought were people to look up to, um, mm. my own, you know, going back to isolation, uh, right. Being spiritual suicide, I was isolating myself, uh, way too much. Um, and you, you sort of get bitter in life. Right. And, um, and for, for my wife and I, we, we, we hit this one point where, you know, we were at a crossroads in our relationship and, um, you know, I just said, you know, I have to change. I have to change. I have to do something different. Uh, and the, I, I let go of acting, um, for, for three years. And I said, uh, I, I got to do something else. I got to do something else. Right. So, so around the time when we decided to, uh, to have our first child, um, you know, that, that year was really intense for me. And, you know, it's, it's funny how, when you have a child, right. Um, how things sort of shift, not just in life, but also, uh, from your own perspective, right. Uh, you know, he, he literally helped me like see things so much differently. I don't know if it was the endorphins or whatever it was, right? But but I something shifted in me. And I know this is really cliche. Everyone says it. And but it really happens. Regardless of how important you think you are, how busy you think you are, um, what level you think you are, um, or or how how shitty you feel like you feel like you are no matter where you are, uh, it, uh, you know, I was at the lowest point in my life, but when I had my son, boom, everything shifted. And I just thought, wow. Okay. It knocked me out of whatever, you know, headspace I was in. And, um, and so for that year, for that year, first year, I, uh, I was, I was doing a lot of odd jobs, um, you know, and I was sort of diving back into music, like music was calling me again and I was starting to write more music. Um, I just finished a couple of EPs from that process. Right. And, uh, working on a, a full album currently. Right. But, but through that first year, one of the biggest things I realized was that I was li- limiting myself, um, uh, by only focusing on acting. Right. So because of this breakthrough that I had, I, 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 I had, I had finally had the sort of like sensibility to realize that I don't have to limit myself. Like I can do any fucking thing that I want 
right? As long as I, I fucking love it, right? Yeah. And just go, like, just go. It doesn't really matter what it is. Does it pertain to the acting business? Who fucking cares, man? Like acting is just one piece of the pie to your mm. life. And you shouldn't focus on, on a job. You should focus on your life, right? So, so I think what my son helped me do is focus on my life right? Mm -hmm. Focus on my family. And so that helped me, that helped me. And I'm not saying everyone should go out there and have a kid, right? Right. But, but if you want to go for it, cause it's pretty damn awesome, man. But, uh, um, but for me, I, I just realized, I just realized, okay, I've got to focus on my life. You know, right. what I put into my life, um, what I put into my bucket, there's a book that he reads, um, filling your bucket. Like when you, um, when you, uh, give a person a smile or you hug them, you fill their bucket. My mm -hmm. bucket was completely empty because I wasn't even filling my own bucket. So how could I fill somebody else's bucket? So I needed to fill my own bucket. Right. So, so he taught me how to, uh, uh, continuously fill my, uh, fill my bucket. And because of that, that helped me sort of, you know, uh, expand my thoughts. So leading up to SWAT, right? That was a really long uh, uh, journey uh, towards SWAT. But like at the end of, at the end of 2019, um, you know, I was, I was doing a job and um, I had a thought of, well, should I get back into acting? And um, I said, I don't fucking know if I want to deal with that shit. You know, that's, it's no. just a lot of stuff, right? And um, come come January first, I just made a determination, and I uh, said, "Let's go for it. Let's mm. just go for it." And um, in January, uh, like around the first or second week of January, um, I got the audition for SWAT, and then I got the call back the next week, and then. Um, the week after was when we actually shot it. Um, yeah, it was insane. But the audition and uh, producers uh, process was so intense for me because I haven't been in that situation for such a long time. And it was, it was like um, mother acting, right. Uh, mm -hmm. I call it right. Like, like she, she decided to put me back in and just like, you know, smack me in the face with it. Yeah. Um, but the testament of how awesome the, the production was and the director, right. And all the writers, they gave, they gave me, I can't speak for any of the act other actors, uh, you know, but from my, from my uh, perspective, like I just realized, wow, this is such a great set, but they gave me the, um, the freedom to do what I needed to do. And I felt that. So so yeah, I mean, that experience was such a great, I guess you can say comeback experience for me yeah. because that was, that was such a really beautiful, beautiful, um, entrance back, uh, into the acting world. And, um, you know, I'm extremely grateful for that production, especially the director, the directors, um, he's uh, Larry, he's, uh, he's, uh, EP and, um, uh, for how, what was it? Uh, NCIS Hawaii, right? So he's he's one of the EPs for that, and I think he also directed the main the main thing. Or, or I, he's such an amazing person. Just he gave me he gave me uh, uh, the really one of the greatest opportunities 
And, um, you know, I know people go, oh, I feel blessed or whatever. But for me, I, I look at it as, man, he really gave me the opportunity to really fully, uh, fully express myself, the freedom to express mm. myself on that set. And, um, you know, I definitely, I absolutely 1000%, you know, uh, you know, fully appreciate him, uh, and the, uh, the whole production for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's such a, it's such a cool mindset. And it's something that you, you know, I was talking a few episodes back about the stereotypes of producers and being, you know, sunny, uh, you know, being super money focused primarily and not being, you know, uh, not being necessarily, you know, emotionally tied into the projects, you know, and, and I think actors tend to have a, a certain way that they're viewed or, or perceived the stereotype of being, you know, um, not grateful or being entitled or being, you know, and it's refreshing seeing down and, and the majority aren't like that. You know, that's a stereotype that's probably born out of Hollywood <laughs> depictions of, of them, but it's cool hearing you be grateful and also how holistically creative you are and the way that you think about, you know, life as a whole, not just acting, not just you're in the NFT space, not just NFTs, not just podcasting, not just music. Like it's kind of a holistic thing. And um, I, I'm kind of curious here, kind of winding down, you know, one thing that comes across in your uh, interviews and, and in the things that you write about um, you talk a lot about, you know, uh, mindsets, you know, feelings, you talk very heavily about um, I'm going to pronounce his name, but your mentor, um, Daisaku Ikeda. Ikeda. Is that right? Ikeda. Ikeda. Daisaku Ikeda. And, Ikeda, um, yeah. and you talk a lot about him with the philosophy of Buddhism. How important has that been um, in your life and career thus far? Um, wow. Thanks for asking that question. Before I actually touch on that question, I just kind of want to reflect on what you said before, hmm. which is, um, you know, the sort of ego that gets in the way. Listen, yeah. man, if you're actors that are, are extremely highly talented uh, and, um, you know, like Marlon Brando or Val Kilmer, yeah. um, you, know, you know, Tom Cruise even, right? Like, like there's a certain level of, again, going back to responsibility and, you know, really being able to express, fully express himself. If the, if the director and the producers are open to that, right, um, that's really the best productions that you can be on. But if they're not, then you're stinting that creativity aspect. Mm. So, so you know, you get this sort of you get this sort of like mis misinterpretation, misinterp- uh, uh, almost like a a sound clip of, oh, you know, um, this actor uh, was um, such an asshole on this thing. But, dude, you don't know the whole story. First of all, second of all. Um, it's really hard to get into a headspace when you have a hundred people around you, right? Yeah. Uh, it's also really hard to get into a headspace when you can't fully express yourself and and collaborate because a film is a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like you can't collaborate with um, with a director or you can't collaborate with um, producers because the produ- producers have a certain agenda, which is totally understandable because it's it's a business man right um but but when an actor doesn't have that freedom to to collaborate that's that's when man that's when things start to you know blow up right so uh either the actor doesn't care 
um, uh, you know, I had, I was in one, uh, experience where when it went, you know, an actor that was, uh, um, you know, um, uh, doing a, f- uh, a film with like, you know, he was just, he didn't care. And I'm mm. like, dude, like, why don't you care? He's like, well, they're making us wait. They're making it. I'm like, dude, but this is just part of the process. We got to find it. So it's like these, these certain mindsets kind of going back into this thing. Right. So, so coming back to Buddhism and how that uh, changed my life. So Buddhism um, is so funny because I've always had Buddhism in my life, but, but it was, I never really jumped, you know, jumped into it. Right. Uh, So in high school, uh, I, you know, I wanted to find something spiritual, like a spiritual foundation. And so I started, you know, looking for, you know, Christianity or Catholicism, Mm. Hinduism, um, you know, all that. Right. I mean, I even touched on Buddhism, but, but when, at a certain point, I sort of just thought, you know, <laughs> the route of self-improvement, going to seminars and paying thousands of dollars is a route for me, right? Which is awesome. Like, if you got the money, go for it, right? If it helps you, go for it. But eventually, I, you know, you know, you, you pay a lot for all that stuff and you go, well, I don't really have a daily practice. And that's what, that's what Buddhism, like the Buddhism I practice is uh, um, SGI Nichiren Buddhism, right? And it's a, and it's a daily practice. And we chant nam yoho renge kyo morning and evening so for me i have a bookmark each day to sort of to sort of uh incrementally uh move towards the goals that i want or um or the certain life that i want so i use this practice to to help me spiritually move through um it also it also helped my wife and i to recalibrate our relationship um, and see things differently. Um, and it's just a, it's just such a powerful, powerful practice, especially in this day of age where, you know, again, going back to, you know, um, um, isolation is spiritual suicide. When we're in this time where, <laughs> where we're literally, um, you know, I mean, the pandemic is still going on, but, you know, we're, we're still able to go out a little bit more, but we're still on this screen talking. And then what happens after the screen, right? You're still in your house We're we're, we're looking at each other in these little small boxes, right? So all this affects us, right? Mm So, so, um, the great thing about, uh, having a community, whatever community it is, you know, it doesn't really, as long as they're supportive, but for me, this, uh, this Buddhism, uh, has the has really supported me in all of my efforts and um you know Daisaku Ikeda which you know he's you know he's he's essentially uh the um SGI USA uh, uh you know president right mm-hmm. but um but but because of his philosophies and also which stems from Nichiren Daishonin, which is the, um, you know, creator of uh, this Buddhism. Um, and that guy's like a 13th century, like, you know, um, you know, monk who reformed Buddhism in a way hmm. or not in a way. Absolutely. Right. So, but, but point being is that, is that we were able to, 
we were able to really take, learn and take full responsibility um, for all of our actions uh, and really use this practice to, to move forward. Um, So, so, I mean, saying all that, I think it's essential for, for a lot of people out there who don't really have the chance to talk because they're always isolated on their phones or just share stuff. Um, It's, I think it's really important to join or be a part of an organization or um, again, it doesn't have to be a religious organization, man. You know, you just be, be part of something, be part of something, the communal element. Exactly. Be part of a community, right? Um, It's just so happy in this community for me really resonated with us. So, um, but, but yeah, just, just find a community to be a part of, Mm. uh, and, um, and know that there are people that are suffering just like you, right? Like we're all, we're all struggling. We're all suffering. No one's not struggling and no one's not suffering. So, um, it's just, we don't want to fall into the traps of, of, having that being in that headspace and cycling into this sort of, you know, spiral of, you know, um, self, you know, self-worth, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you know, it's, it's always good to hear somebody and talk to somebody. And if that person can really just find some way to, um, help you see a different perspective, that's what this organization, uh, organization, um, has, uh, has done for me. Yeah. That's awesome, man. No, that's, um, I had to bring it up because I, it's such a, it, it seeps into a lot of what you talk about and even in the conversation and little, little spurts. So I wanted to, wanted to ask about it. And, you know, I mentioned to you before we recorded, like my other show, I talk about a uh, clergy abuse. So I'm, I'm sitting with people who have been isolated from faith communities for rightful reasons, like shouldn't go back to those communities. But one of the most difficult things of that journey, and I'm going through this myself is trying to find another community that's healthy to be able to just get around other people. Like that's so helpful to be able to have that communal bonding in both good things and bad things. And uh, so I think that's, that's really valuable. Um, I, I want to move us here into this last segment. Um, and yeah, I think we'll probably definitely do a part two at some point because uh, there's so much we could go down. Um but uh, just wrapping up, I want to do a quick random round with you, ask a couple quick questions and get your quick feedback on some of these. Uh, and then we'll, and then we'll close it out with uh, maybe a hint at some of the things you're working on right now. Um, but I'm curious, first off, if you were given the green light to remake any film, what would you choose and why? I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't okay. want to make any film. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, uh, yeah, the pressure of doing that for me uh, is <laughs> so funny. Somebody asked me, "Would you ever like play Bruce Lee in a movie? Right, like a like a major major movie, not just like something like a yeah. um, you know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood?" And I said, "No, uh, because the responsibility of, of building myself up to have that body and you know um, is too. It's uh, yeah, I, I don't want to take on that responsibility. You know, that's not fun for me." That's that's work, you know. Yeah. That's work. That's right. not fun. So to remake a movie, nah, I'm I'm good. I don't want to remake. I don't want to remake anything. Um, I you know I want to enjoy the original. If somebody else wants to remake it, that's great. I'll watch it, but I don't I don't want to do that. 
Gotcha. Uh, who do you think is the most underrated filmmaker working today? Underrated? Yeah. I mean, over this over this uh, quarantine uh, uh, period, I've watched over like 250 films, right? Uh, and it's insane. It, like, I'm trying to recall <laughs> some of these films. Scrolling right violently through Letterboxd, trying to... Yes, yes, yes. Um, gosh darn it, dude. Oh, okay. Underrated, underrated. Okay blockbuster one of my favorite films uh that i completely forgot about blockbuster it's a french film uh Mm. it was uh, it was made in 2018 the director is julie heigrick um and i think it might still might be playing on netflix but Mm. um it's a brilliant film it's such a brilliant film everything about it uh just watch it. You'll, you'll see, I can't even do it justice by trying to explain it, but it's a love story essentially, but um, it's done. It's done really brilliantly. Um, I, I mean, side note, I even contacted her on Instagram. I just had to pour my heart out to her and uh, you know, she was so appreciative of it. Uh, but definitely watch that film blockbuster blockbuster. Oh, that's, that's the name of the film. then. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, What do you think is the best decade of film history? Huh? Hmm. That's a tough one too. um, (laughs) I I just, uh, I've been on this like uh, Hitchcock kick Hmm. lately. So um, best, best decade. (laughs) God. I'm a horrible like film historian, man, because you're, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't tap into this as quickly, but um, I want to, I just want, I just want to go into the sixties and the seventies. If I can Mm. pick two decades, I want to say the fifties and the sixties, I mean, sixties and the seventies, because I feel like the sixties were a time where a lot of filmmakers were still trying to break out of um, the, uh, the confessional um, uh, way of filmmaking, Mm. like, uh, like hard days night, Right. That, that was sort of like a breakthrough in filmmaking in a way. Right. Because it's part story, part documentary. Right. Um, But then you go into the seventies and you have all these new filmmakers coming out and it was literally this sort of, you know, massive, uh, massive takeover by the youth. Right. And they were just coming out with all this great stuff. And um, I, I feel like the sixties and the seventies specifically 64 to 78, were the best, 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 um, or at least my favorite um, times in film. Yeah, no, I'm, inc- I'm inclined to agree. Um, and lastly, what's the best piece of advice you'd give to an aspiring filmmaker? And this could, again, be director, actor, anybody getting into the film industry. What would be your number one piece of advice for them listening to this? Um, don't cry, just go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude, uh, I, think, I think ultimately... I think ultimately is um, be there's three things for me is be grateful for your family. That's the first thing. If your family's off, then you're going to be off. Right. Mm. Um, That's really the first thing. The second thing is um, if you're going to do something, be passionate about it. Um, You know, there's so many things that, you know, if you're growing, if you grew up in, in a, an environment 
where I feel like if you have parents that say you can do everything or you can do anything, that's really not enough. Or if you have, um, you know, if you're in an environment where you're restricted from expressing yourself, that's sort of maybe the, uh, the, um, drive that helps people get to a certain point in life. Right. But, but I think the most important thing is that whatever is in front of you, be passionate about. Um, and third is, is really to trust the journey, Hmm. trust, trust, trust. Um, you know, I have within the last couple of years, like I had this really great epiphany um, and which helped me sort of better navigate myself in life, which is the uh, metaphor of a feather. Um, I, I read this, I read this one quote one time and it was, it was about how just be like the feather. Right. And that's all it said. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would you just want to flow around like going anywhere? Right. Like, yeah. uh, and until, until I realized that the idea of being like the feather isn't just, um, you know, flowing to things with no, um, objective. Um, what I realized what it meant was, was when the wind blows you in a certain direction, go that direction until the wind blows you into another area, because ultimately at the end of the game, you'll realize, you know, and you look back, you'll realize, oh, look at all these touch points that I've done to get to this certain thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that, you know, trusting myself in that process and trusting the universe in that process um, is, for, is for me really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, a, it's the internal compass. It's the, um, it's the full connection uh, that I have with, you know, that, that we, you know, we all have in ourselves, uh, uh, you know, to connect to this, this larger thing called, you know, the universe or whatever people what, call it. So whatever you want to call it. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That was sort of like a pretentious explanation, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you're an artist. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta do the pretentious answer. Where's my uh, cigarette and where's my espresso? <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, man, that's that's really awesome and great, great advice for people. Um, for for those who want to stay in touch with you, follow up with what you're doing. Uh, what's the best place for them to do that? Mm. Uh, so my phone number is no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, please contact. I mean, hit me up on like Instagram mm. uh, at uh, Hey Richard Chu. Um, but these days, I'm uh, more likely to respond on Twitter because um, I'm addicted to the NFT world now. Uh, so uh, my Twitter is uh, just Richard Chu, C-H-I-U. Um, and it's probably the best way to contact me. Um, and um, please do, please do. Um, I'm, uh, I love talking to people and I love learning about other people. So if anyone has any questions or collaborations, please hit me up because uh, I'm open. Awesome. Well, well, thank you, Richard, so much for joining me on the show and for uh, getting a little philosophical with me. I really appreciate it and uh, hope the uh, hope the audience enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much.
Yeah, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, man. I really, really enjoy this podcast and um, this dialogue. And I hope we uh, get to do it again. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.